0: Let us go before the Lord and pray to our father in heaven. Lord those of us in here who are believers this morning. We pray to you as our father in heaven. And Lord what a joy it is when we can call you father. You rule over this earth. But you don't tell us to pray to your majesty. Lord, you are high and lifted up, but do not tell us to address you as your highness, as earthly kings and princes do. Lord, you are judge of the living and dead, but you do not tell us to say your honor as we do to human judges. Instead, Lord, you invite us to call you our father. And so, Lord, we don't speak to you today as subjects before a king or citizens before an emperor or plaintiffs before a judge we speak to you as children before a father we speak as children who are confident that our father loves us confident that our father hears us confident that our father is eager to act for our good father we have already confessed that we are like sheep who have gone astray but we also like children who have rebelled against a kind and benevolent giving father, a father who has only ever loved us, a father who has only ever acted in ways that benefited us. But Lord, we have chosen to defy you. We have chosen to rebel against your authority, to go so far as to wish that you were dead. Lord, we are sorry. We're so thankful that you continue to love us. That you continue to care about us. That you patiently and willingly draw us to yourself despite our sinfulness as your children. Lord, such a wonderful God you are. What a wonderful Father you are, Lord. You are better and far more exceeding than all earthly fathers. Lord, for those of us who are fathers, we pray that we will learn from you, that we will model our fathering after yours. That we will look to the way you relate to us and extend all of that mercy, all of that love, all of that compassion to the children you've blessed us with. Lord, let us love as we have been loved. Let us be fathers in the way you are a father. And Lord, we thank you this morning for the many precious gifts that you have given us, not the least of which Lord, is this church. Thank you, Lord, that since we're all your children and you're our father to us all, you've drawn us together into this community called the Living Church, this church family. And Lord, my prayer is that you expand this family, this Christian community here at 501 Quintard Avenue. My prayer, Lord, is that you would bring more saints to our fellowship and that, Lord, you would bring unbelievers here also so that they may hear the gospel, repent of their sins, and be saved, and be baptized, and become part of this community also. Lord, we thank you for granting us the gift of of, of deacons, men, and Lord, we ask you that they may serve well, and me as an elder that I would lead on your behalf, and that the deacons would serve on your behalf. And Lord, my prayers that you would grant us more elders and more deacons. You promise, Lord, that if we ask according to your will, you will listen and you will provide. Lord, we know that it is your will for a church to be led by elders and served by deacons. So, Father, we ask that you would raise up members of this church who would be called and qualified and also bring those in who are called and qualified. Lord, we know that you are faithful to answer this prayer. We see this as a great need in this church, and we pray that you would grant as we ask. We pray, Lord, that you would burden individuals to serve and that you would grant wisdom to the members so that we can identify those who can identify your calling in their life. Lord, we thank you that you are not, Father, only to the people in this congregation, but to Christians throughout the whole world. Christians throughout the country, Christians throughout this city. Lord, we thank you for our brothers and sisters at Anderson Bible Church, at Grace Fellowship, at First Baptist Lionville, at Hope Presbyterian, at Christian Fellowship, at Redeemer Church, at Mountain View Church, at Iron City Baptist, at uh, First Baptist Talladega. We thank you, Lord, for these brethren. These churches, that you bless them as they meet to worship you today. And Lord, bless all their pastors as they pastor their churches. Bless them, Lord, with wisdom. Bless them with your encouragement in the Spirit. Bless them, Lord God, to continue to faithfully serve and grant them many more years to serve. We pray, Lord, that you will help the people in those churches to serve. As faithful and a committed part of that church family in those respective churches. And Lord, now as we turn to the word to hear it read and preached, we ask, Lord, that you will help us to listen attentively and apply diligently. We pray, Lord, that we will listen as children who so badly need the wisdom of their Heavenly Father, as children who are committed to imitating their father and as children who long to please their father. I pray Lord that you will speak and that we will listen that you who are perfect and unchanging would do a great work within us who are imperfect and in desperate need of change. Lord, please leave us here today as children who have heard from their father who have grown in their love and trust for their father and who are eager to be like their father. We pray all of this, Lord, in the name of our precious Savior, our elder brother, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the precious gift of prayer. Man, we're in week four of our Advent series, and today we're looking at Matthew's gospel. We're going to look at Jesus as the son of Mary. We begin with Jesus, the son of David. And then Jesus the son of Abraham and last week Jesus the son of Solomon. And now we turn our attention to Jesus the son of Mary. We read the scripture already from Matthew 1 verses 18 through 25. Which announced the birth of Christ in Matthew's gospel. So we're not going to belabor and read it again, but that is going to be where we start uh, this morning. As I begin the last few weeks, I'll begin this week by asking the question. Our main theme of all these sermons is, who is Jesus? And I've talked about, of course, how our culture has transitioned us. To a Christless Christmas. But as believers, we must always maintain our focus on Christ and who He is and what that means in this time or during, rather, this time of year. So, the question we've been asking during this Advent season, using Matthew 1 to guide us, is Who is Jesus? And that is the most important question that we can ever ask Who is Jesus? I was listening to a podcast uh, this morning on my way up here about biblical having a biblical worldview, and one of the hosts uh, said that you know she's been discipling this young lady, and she asked her, uh, "Who is God?" You know, always say when you when you're witnessing to people or when you're trying to disciple or counsel people, the first question that must be asked is, "Who is God?" You always start with God and who God is. Uh, A.W. Toza famously said uh, the answer to the question who is God tells you everything you need to know about that person. What they think of God matters. So she said she asked the the, the young lady uh, who is God. And she began to answer God is my. God is my. And like God is my redeemer. He's my ideas blah blah blah. And while that sounds good. When we answer the question. Who is God. We must answer that question. As who God is. And God is independent of us. We have to understand that about the nature of God. God is independent of man. That's called the aseity of God. I preached on that. I think back in 2021 when I was going through. The doctrine of God, the aseity of God, that that God is other. He's above his creation. He's not one with his creation. So we think about who God is, we can't think of it in relation to us, but in relation to himself. So we don't say, God is my. So, So when we ask the question, who is Jesus? The same thing. We can't say, Jesus is my. Because in our culture today, Jesus is. Everything. He asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Some say you are Elijah. Some say you are Moses. But he asked them, who do you say I am? Okay? That's what matters. And who they said Jesus was, was not in relation to man, but into relation in how he revealed himself. And Peter said you are the Christ. That means you are the Messiah. You are the holy one. The anointed one of God. The, the one sent by God. When we think about in our culture. Some people say that Jesus is a therapist. That he helps us to cope with life's problems. That he heals our past hurts. That he tells us how valuable we are. How, how special we are. And not to be so hard on ourselves. To to show more self love. Some say that Jesus. Is a coffee lover. Have a cup of coffee with Jesus. Some people say that. That he drinks fair trade coffee at Starbucks. That he loves spiritual conversations. That he, he drives a hybrid. And. And he goes to film festivals. Some say that Jesus is a coach. He, he helps athletes run faster and, and jump higher than non-Christians. You know, that old Philippians 4 and 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that a lot of athletes say is, 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 is that verse. So well, some say Jesus is a coach. He helps them run faster and jump higher than non-Christians. And he determines the outcome of Super Bowls. Or iron bowls. Or national championship games or, or playoff games. That's what some say about Jesus. Some say he's a hippie. He teaches everyone to give peace a chance, that everybody should just get along. He imagines a world without religion. He helps us to remember that all you need is love like John Lennon saying all we need to do is just love everybody if everybody just love everybody this world be a much better place. That's the kind of Jesus that uh, somebody envisioned that he's a that he's a hippie. You may say well we are supposed to love everybody. That's true. But everybody's not going to love everybody because of the presence of sin. You can't have biblical love without a changed heart so to say that everybody needs to just get along is saying nothing because everybody's not going to get along because everybody's not saved number one even Christians can't get along with each other I mean come on so think about that (laughs) so saying that pie in the sky thing is just whispering and throwing things out of the air so some say Jesus is a hippie. Some say that Jesus is a spiritual guru. That he hates religion. That he hates churches, pastors, priests, doctrine. He would rather have people out in nature. Finding the God within. Meditating on yoga. Living their best life. Living life to the fullest. Reaching their full potential. Practicing self-love people say that Jesus was a revolutionary that he teaches us to rebel against authority rebel against the man rebel against the status quo stick it to the man blame things on systemic racism and white supremacy so Jesus is a revolutionary to some people and some even say that Jesus is a good example He shows us how to help people he shows us how to change the world he shows us how to practice the golden rule that he's a good example to follow that he says some good things that we should do They leave out the part about repentance and about denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him but we want to think about the real Jesus the biblical Jesus, especially this time of year during Advent, when we celebrate the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ. We want to focus on the real Jesus, not the, all the ones that I just mentioned that the, that the culture says who Jesus is. Jesus, the Jesus of Matthew 1. Matthew 1 announces that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of Solomon. And today we see that Jesus is the son of Mary. Matthew 1 and 17 says this. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the captivity in Babylon, there are 14 generations. And from captivity in Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. So Matthew summarizes biblical history in three sets of fourteens. Now. He's telling us this story. Leading to Christ that all of human history. Led to Christ. It doesn't lead to anything or anyone else. It all led to Christ. From Abraham the first patriarch that God called in Genesis 12 as we read. All the way down to Christ. So Jesus ushers in the final act in God's plan of salvation. Jesus birth brings the story to completion. The story of redemption. And so when we see the birth of Christ here as is as it is in Matthew, we see God's plan of salvation put into place. So looking at Matthew 1 and 18. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. I remember was reading this. I was saying this is very important that we must know as Christians. Mary conceived Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Now you remember at first Joseph was hesitant to believe this. I wouldn't wouldn't blame him. I mean seriously. So Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. I said this earlier when we were doing our reading. That Jesus had to be born of the Spirit. In order to be sinless, he is the God man. He could not be conceived in sin, else, he would not be able to atone for sin. Because as we read in the Catechism, no one with sin can atone for someone else's sin. Only someone who is without sin could pay the penalty for our sins. And that is why the virgin birth is necessary. Christian doctrine and Christian teaching. That is an essential doctrine. The virgin birth of Christ. That's something that you must believe. As a Christian. So Joseph was hesitant to believe it. But what did God do? God sent an angel. Who speaks to Joseph in a dream. As we read in this passage. So after this. He was convinced his anxiety was gone he believed the unbelievable that his, his his wife the one betrothed to be his wife conceived as a virgin and was birthed by the holy. or I'm sorry rather conceived uh, through the Holy Spirit's intervention. So Joseph chooses to trust God and love Mary. They share a home they live together. Now we have to understand in this time in antiquity, this raised some eyebrows in their hometown because they. Th- this we have to understand about this this culture. Nazareth, first of all, it was a very small town. It was about two thousand people that lived there, so gossip would have traveled quickly, don't you think? In a town of two thousand people, where you know we say everybody knows everybody. So the fact that news spread that she was with child through the Holy Spirit. Think about how that would have looked to everybody. Man, that would have been some good juice. That would have been some good gossip. <coughs> or some good tea, as people call it. Mary can conceived this child doing the engagement instead of waiting to be married. You have to understand something back then to have a child outside of marriage was like unheard of I don't no matter how old you were it was inconceivable to birth a child without being married 2,000 years later it's like okay uh, 40, 50, 60% of children are born to unwed mothers 2,000 years later back then it was like no that just did not happen it just didn't. So Matthew continues here in verse twenty-one. You know the angel came to him and he believed it. He said, "Take Mary your wife for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit." Verse twenty-one says, "And she would bring forth a son." You know this was an angel of the Lord because he was specific. They didn't have sonograms back then to know what the uh, sex or gender of the baby was. And you shall call his name Jesus. You should call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sin. The name Jesus literally means Savior. The Lord saved. You should call his name Savior. So Jesus is the English form of the Hebrew word Joshua. And it means Yahweh or the Lord saves. So this child's name is Jesus or Joshua. And why? Because he will save his people from their sins. This is important to the birth of Christ. Why it is important. It's not just about the manger. It's not just about the uh, magi coming to visit him from afar it is about the savior of the world being born you should call his name Jesus Savior the Lord saves Yahweh saves Thank you, Jesus. amen Thank you. Jesus came to save we can't keep him in the manger just as a uh <laughs> What's the little song all way in the manger no crib for a bed the little Lord Jesus asleep in the bed the stars in the sky looked down as he lay you know Jesus didn't cry he didn't whine like a baby yes he did Jesus was a man he was the God man he cried he wanted milk he didn't sin but he cried like any other baby would but inside that manger is the person who is going to save people from their sins. This is the son of Mary that we see. This is the son of Mary that we celebrate this time of year. And not only will he save, but he will forgive all sin. Lock, stock, and barrel as we say in the country. He will forgive all sins of those who believe. Past, present, and... And future sins. If you're in Christ. The sins from your past have been forgiven. The sins of your present. And the sins you haven't even yet committed. Have already been forgiven in Christ. Praise the Lord for Christ. The son of Mary. His birth is so important. Santa Claus. It's not going to save you from your sins. First of all, he's not even real. Let's just start there. Jesus is not a myth. He was an actual person. He actually lived. He actually existed. If there was a Saint Nicholas at one time, he's dead. He's been dead. He didn't have a resurrection. He's not seated in heaven at the right hand of God. But our Jesus is. Santa Claus. Would not save you. No amount of gifts. No amount of money that you receive. No amount of gifts that are under that tree. Are going to save you from. The sin sick condition that you're in. None of it will. It will bring temporary and fleeting happiness. I can't even say joy. Because joy is a fruit of the spirit. That is given to every believer. Unbelievers don't experience joy. They may have moments of fleeting happiness, but it's all vanity. It's a flash in the pan. Yes, we'll get those things and we'll have moments of happiness. But it'll be fleeting. You know the thing about Christmas that is so fascinating that. That we don't really think about until we think about it until someone mentions it like me. After you open your presents. And do all that. Like that's it. Think about it. Like what's next? You tear those, you know, tell the that wrapping off, get all that stuff, and you know, I mean, we kids, you know, we got BB guns, and you know, you go out and you know, go hunting and stuff, and pellet guns, and little, uh, uh, you know, fourteen shotguns, uh, just all that stuff we used to get for Christmas, and go out and go hunting and stuff, but then it's like. That's it. You open up the gifts, especially when you got kids. Kids open the gifts, sit there, you see the joy and excitement, or or some of them be ungrateful, say, "Oh, I didn't want this," blah blah, whatever. After they open all their gifts and go to their rooms, or whatever, like that's it. Until it's time to get ready to go eat. Why? Because it's so fleeting. It is so empty. It's nothing wrong bestowing gifts because God is a gracious God. Bestows gifts on us, and we bestow gifts to others, and including our children, and our and our husbands and wives. You know, it's nothing wrong bestowing gifts. But the point is, those things don't ultimately save because they bring more misery. They bring more ingratitude because they're never going to satisfy. And you think if I just had more, if I just had bigger, if I just had faster, then I would be happier. But you won't. You're going to be in more misery. Because you're not looking to the one. Who saves. Jesus the son of Mary. You're not looking to the one. Who came to save you from. Your sins. And we are so incomplete. Without salvation. We have economic problems. In our society. We say oh. If we just get. And are in the White House, things be better? Perhaps they may, but that's not going to save us. That's not going to cure because we we kind of look through the world through rose tinted glasses and think that oh everything was perfect because someone else was in the office where well, everything will be perfect if we put another person in the office if we vote this party in to vote that party in. It doesn't matter. It's not going to matter ultimately. We have economic problems. Yet if all of our economic problems vanished today, our lives still wouldn't be perfect. If all of our bills were paid, our lives would not still be perfect. Do we understand that? If all our political problems vanished today, our lives still wouldn't be perfect. If all of our psychological problems, all of our mental health issues vanished today, if all of our family problems, if all of our health problems were solved, Our lives will still be empty and lacking what they need the most. Who are we? Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of Mary. Jesus came to save people from their sins. You look at man, you look at God first, and then you start with man. Who are we? We are people who need to be saved from our sins. Who is Jesus? Jesus is Savior. He's Messiah. He's the one who came to save us from our sins. He's the one who lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death, and rose on the third day into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, acting as our high priest, our intercessor, our mediator. And he will one day return. That's who Jesus is. Who are we? We are in need of a savior. We need to be saved from our sins. That's because contrary to what many of us think. We're not Superman. We're not Superwoman. We're not superheroes. We cannot save ourselves. We can't do it. I remember there was an old uh, cartoon that said I have met the enemy and he is me. We have met the enemy, and the enemy is me. The enemy is the person you see in the mirror. Our enemy is not out there. Our enemy is right here. Every political, social, psychological, economic problem is the result of our fallen condition as man. This is the biblical worldview that we must see. It's all a result of our fallen nature. That's why Jesus didn't come as a, Jesus didn't come as an economist. He didn't come as a political leader. He did not come as a sociologist. He didn't come as a family therapist. He didn't come as a mental health counselor. He didn't come as a spiritual guru. He didn't come as a presidential candidate. His name is Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He's not any of those other things that we made him out to be. This is the Jesus that we speak of in this book, in this gospel, in this story of redemption. This is who Jesus is. This is the Jesus who was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Christians, we must keep our eyes on this. We must fight to do that. Because, look, the world needs saving. The the thing about this time of year, and it's not inherently bad, everybody. Gets altruistic this time of year. Altruism means doing good. They're doing good deeds. Everyone gets altruistic this time of year. Everyone wants to raise money, donate toys for children, for families. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that at all. During Thanksgiving, they you know offer feedings of people. You know they you know have open up community centers and stuff for people you know feed people Thanksgiving meals and you got some people doing for Christmas it is nothing wrong with those things at all period but even the secularists do that and you know why they do it because they think in their secular God denying minds that if I just do enough good I'll get into heaven if people say enough good things about my life that I did for people then I'll get into heaven Wrong, you need a savior, you need your sins forgiven. No amount of good works you do will take away your sin problem. No amount of bicycles you donate, no amount of meals you sponsor, no amount of angel trees you donate to will save you from your sins. Only repenting and trusting in Jesus Christ, the God man, the Son of Mary who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, only when you believe in him will you have your sins forgiven. Will you be saved from your sins? You can't do good works. Christianity is not a works-based religion. You cannot good works your way to heaven. Because Jesus himself said, many people are going to say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name. I did that in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of evil. I never knew you. People need a savior. Good works is not going to do it. Being a nice person is not going to do it. Those are not bad things, but those things are not going to save you. You get saved to do good works because that's what God ordained. Ephesians 2 and 10, we are his workmanship created in him for good works. But before that, Paul says we are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works. That's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, not of works, not of works. Salvation is not of works. It is purely by God's grace that he saves us. And grace is not something that we can purchase. It is not something that we can pray for. It is not something that we can work for. It's not something that we can be nice enough to receive. It is purely a gift of God. This is the Jesus that we're preaching. This is the Jesus that we look to. The Son of Mary, conceived of a virgin. As Christians, we experience true joy and peace when we recognize that we can't bring our life to a successful conclusion. We just can't do it. <laughs> we tried. All of us have tried to bring our life to a successful conclusion without Christ but our biggest problem is us you know that song man in the mirror by Michael Jackson That song is theologically incorrect what does it say I'm talking to the man in the mirror I'm asking him to change his ways and answer. wrong answer we cannot change our ways friend as much as we try it takes a new heart it takes a new nature and that only comes through Jesus who came to save his people from their sins our biggest problem is us and we need a savior to rescue us from our sins. If we come to Jesus for any other reason. To make us popular more successful. for All these other things. We'll be disappointed. Jesus has way more. Important problems to solve. Than our unpopularity or our failures. Excuse me. Those are just symptoms. Jesus laid down his life. He gave his life. To save us. From the sin that alienates us from God. And he saves us from the sins. Of each other. And threatening to destroy us. So Jesus saved us. He laid down his life. To save us from our sins. So this Jesus, the son of Mary, he is our savior. He's not just another prophet. He's not just another rabbi. He's just not another wonder worker. He was the one that they had been waiting for. To complete God's story of salvation. To deliver his people from exile. To establish God's reign and rule. To heal the sick. To give sight to the blind. To give freedom to prisoners. And to proclaim good news to the poor. To be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is who Jesus is. This is the Jesus that we speak of who was born of the Virgin Mary. And we read back in Isaiah 7.14 as we saw earlier. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And God with us is what Matthew's gospel is all about. It appears in the beginning here in this book. It appears in the middle where Jesus said, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. That's I think Matthew 18. <coughs> And then Matthew's last verse in Matthew 28 and 20, Jesus says, Lo, I am with you, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Matthew's gospel is about. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age, the end of the world. That's that prophecy in Isaiah 7 and 14 being fulfilled. You should call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Now Jesus is not only our Savior. From sin. He is Emmanuel. God with us. He was up close and personal Savior. He was born in the flesh. He was the God man. Uh, John 1 says. Many beheld him. Beheld his glory. As the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. So Jesus was beheld by the eyes of man. He was beheld by the Apostle Paul. On the road to Damascus. The three. Disciples. Uh, James. John and Peter saw him. At the Mount of uh, Transfiguration. They beheld his glory. Emmanuel is also God in us. God dwells in all of us. Believers. Believers by the Holy Spirit. So not only is he with us, but he is also in us. And he is also behind us. And he goes before us. Christ is our rear guard. He protects us. He goes before us. He leads us. So he's in us. He's with us. He is behind us. And he goes before us. And he's going to carry us home. On the other side of Good Friday. He lives. He's reigning right now. He conquered death and now he wears a crown. Jesus completed our story with his birth. He fulfilled the commandments. He reversed the curse of sin. He came to crush the serpent's head as was prophesied in Genesis the third chapter. He is our high priest. He is our suffering servant as Isaiah 53 says. He's Jeremiah's righteous branch. He's Daniel's son of man that appeared in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach and the Abednego. In the book of Amos he is described as a roaring lion. In Haggai he is described as the desire of all nations. In Zechariah he was the king riding on a donkey. As was prophesied and fulfilled when Jesus made his triumphal uh, entry into Israel. In the book of Malachi he was the son of righteousness. With healing in his wings. This is the biblical Jesus. That we are speaking of. Jesus is God. Predicted through all the prophets. And prepared through. John the Baptist. Who was his forerunner. John the Baptist says. Behold there is one greater than me. Of whose sandals. I am not even worthy to unlatch. That's what he spoke of. About Jesus. He is not a figment of our imagination. He is real. He is the Lord our God. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He is the substitute for all our sins. He died in our place. Jesus is more loving, He's more holy, He's more wonderfully merciful. Than we could ever think. This is who Jesus is, and this is what we must know as believers. This is what we must take into our hearts, and this is what we must articulate to those who are lost who Jesus is. Every last bit of God's forgiveness and grace and love are found in Jesus. He is so wonderful of a Savior. He is the bright morning star. He is the lion of the tribe. Of Judah. He is the holy one sent of God. The, the sinless sacrifice. Who appeased the propitiation for our sins. He appeased the wrath of God against sin. He is such a wonderful savior. And we call people to believe. In this savior. While he is. Is still saving because when Jesus cracks that sky and comes back there's going to be no more saving he's coming to judge he's coming to sit on his great white throne and judge all sinners and hand out rewards to the Saints and welcome us into his kingdom but for sinners Who are not in Christ when he comes back. They are going to be judged for their sins. And They're going to be sent. To where there's going to be weeping. And gnashing of teeth. Weeping for sorrow. Over their sins. That will last forever. Gnashing their teeth. Because they will be angry. They will be bitter. Because. They rejected their Savior. They will have no one else to blame but themselves. That's why they're going to gnash their teeth at God. Because they're gnashing at themselves. This Jesus came to save you from that condition. To save you from that happening. All someone has to do is call on him. Lord, save me. I can't save myself, Lord. I give myself to you, Father, in total surrender. Save me from my sins, Lord. Save me from this misery. May I experience your joy, the joy of being one of your children. And you know what God will do? He will save. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for Jesus, the Son of Mary, who came to save us from our sins. Jesus is such a precious Savior Lord he's such a a good Savior he's such a loving Savior. Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ being born of a virgin being conceived by the Holy Spirit coming to earth as the God man fully God and fully man atoning for our sins granting us salvation granting us the forgiveness of sins. Father, this such a great blessing may we as believers Plant this into our hearts, Lord. We ask you to plant this—these truths that we heard this morning—into our hearts about our Savior. May we live by them. May we articulate them to unbelievers. Lord, save those who call out to you with a pure heart. Bring them into your family. And Lord, bless this wonderful church family in here. May you continue to do your redemptive work in us. You are sanctifying work in us, Lord, until you call us home. In Christ's name I pray, amen.